by Didier Drogba. Yes, the greatest night in Chelsea's history. Champions of Europe at last. Hey guys, welcome back to another banging episode of the SW6 Daily Podcast. I told you that we're going to be getting some excellent guests on. We started off with Mediano, but this time we are bringing JMH on, the statistics god. My guy, how are you doing, man? What's Thank happening? you for the kind words, Dami. I'm very good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. This episode, I'm joined by Josh as well. Josh, how are you doing? Uh, not too good after today, but anyways, we move, so it's move. it's all right. It's all right. We move, we move. So, I mean, guys... For this episode, we're going to be talking about the Everton match. I know the title says we're talking about cars. We're definitely, most definitely going to be talking about that. Later on in the episode, I'll leave the timestamp for when we start talking about that in case you don't want to listen to this Everton match, uh, this Everton match uh, review. But yeah, we're going to start off with the review. And I also want to get like a quick, like a quick summary of what you felt the match was, JMH. I mean, I never, I never overreact too much when we do lose because... Mm expected if you asked us at the start of the season what's going to happen we're going to have games like this and I think it's a fair summary to say that this team cannot grind out a 1-0 win the only way we win games is by outscoring teams and today we just weren't at it offensively it wasn't wasn't sharp enough it wasn't quick enough but fundamentally we lost from three terrible mistakes and yeah we can't we can't win games if we're giving away three mistakes and not scoring so yeah. mm. it's what it is really as a high level summary is what it is. It, what it is. Josh, what are your thoughts on that match? I'll just say it quickly. Um, for me, yeah, like JMH said, like I can't think of a time really where Everton carved us apart. Really, it was yeah. just three terrible concede, uh, terrible goals to concede. Especially the third one. That was comical. The way Kepa just passed it out. But anyway, I mean, yeah. Overall. If, it, it, it was a very, very, very poor performance, and it, it's just about how we rebound right now. Mm, mm. Fair enough, fair enough. So, I mean, one of the first things I want to talk about from this match was Andreas Christensen. Absolutely shambolic defending. Shambolic, brainless defending today was so shocking. Everyone always prides him on being a lot smarter and everything, but he just looks scared and he just looks weak. I don't know what the problem with Christensen is. I mean, JMH, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I'll, I'll start off on some positives. I think he's a fantastic passer, as we all know. Undoubtedly the best on the ball with, out of our current crop. He's a great reader of the game. But I just think in terms of the Premier League, his physicality doesn't suit it. And he's often getting bullied. Today, prime example on the first goal, yes, Aspie and Zuma, positionally, they were terrible and they exposed him a lot. But before Richardson gets in for the header, he has a clear header, but Richardson just comes in, outbusts him, and takes a clear shot of goal for a header and just beats Kepa. It's just that's not what you want from your centre back to be able to be giving away headers like that. And it's it's a consistent trend. He gets beaten consistently. So another another game against Villa. He had a very good game, no doubtedly, but he lost six of his nine aerial duels, which against a better team, that will cost us, yeah. undoubtedly. Mm. Oh, 
Oh man, the state of that guy, honestly. What did you call him? I saw we had we message we're messaging because he said he's a unicorn. What did you call him? Yeah, he's just he's just yeah, that that's his main criticism. He's just not strong enough. I think if you put him in Syria or La Liga, he'd be amazing because he does read the game well, he can anticipate when to make a tackle and stuff. That's not the issue, it's just put him one on one against someone in a 50-50 and he's not there, and that's it's shown in his ground jewels one, his aerial jewels one, he's not our statistically best centre-back in that department. And I, I don't know, it's just it's like what Sarri said last season. He says he gets nervous before games. Do you want that as your centre-back that's leading the line? It, it doesn't strike you with confidence. And it, it comes back to it as well. And I think an element of it, it this season is to blame on Lampard because recently, wh- whether you agree or not, Zuma has been fantastic at right centre-back, whether he is going to maintain his form. In the last two months, he has been amazing. But then mm. Lampard's putting at left centre-back to accommodate Christensen at right centre-back. And I just don't get it. I feel a better combination between the two would be Zuma on the right, Christensen on the left. But they just look so uncomfortable in both positions, particularly Zuma. He just looks like yeah. a completely different player. And it's just, it's completely unsettled everything we built with Zuma and Tomori. And it's just gone five steps backwards, back to when we lost 4-0 against United at the start of the season. It's just another terrible defensive performance and it it was the same against Valencia as well when Christensen came in it was a terrible defensive performance and those are the three worst games I think we've looked bad defensively the other games have been okay yes we've conceded here and there with again terrible mistakes but actually being all over the place unstructured stuff I'd say Everton Valencia and United away and those games have been Zuma and Christensen partnering each other I've seen Christensen has come into a game. I've just not thinking I used to back him as well. And uh, I mean, it's gotten to the point where I can no longer do that. But I mean, I'm going to save my words on Christensen, but I 100% agree with you, Jim. I think at the end of the day, Zuma should be playing in his more comfortable position. You could have, you saw how lost he was on the left hand side today. But I mean, Josh, what, what, what's your take on the Christensen's performance today? My God. I mean, when I saw him play, like, the first time when he came back fit, I was like, what is Lampard doing? Because yeah. It's not like this is a new thing. We've known for a season now that he gets bullied aerially. You know, mm-hmm. this is, like, obviously on Twitter today, I was quite angry at Lampard, and especially about this game. For me, why is he playing Christensen when it's obvious Everton's game plan is going to be physical, you know? They have a new manager. They have the new manager burst. They're going to come in, and they're going to treat it like a derby game. They're going to have tackles flying in. Why would you have, like JMH said, a guy who's like, I swear he's the guy that throws up in the changing room before the game. <laughs> he has stomach issues, you know what I mean? Like, why would you have that guy in this game? It made absolutely zero sense to me. And like like, like you were saying against Villa, JMH, he locks apparently he lost six of his nine aerial duels i can't remember an aerial duel he won today Mm. he 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 is i don't know he just he looks like a kid that hasn't hit puberty yet you can see the raw ability but like he's just not strong whatsoever and he just gets bullied every time so overall andreas christensen for me very poor and just to briefly give my thoughts on zuma i mean for me, I thought Zuma was decent today. Not anything amazing, but like when people were saying it's a combined fault, really it was just Christensen's fault because when I think of defending, I think of okay, who's putting you in the position the first? I get, in the first place, I give them the most blame. For like their second goal, for example, Christensen just not winning that header 
puts them in that position. And did Zuma do his best? No, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it was just it was insanely frustrating. And I think at the end of the day, we have to against Lille on Tuesday see Fakayo and Zuma back because at the end of the day, and def- defensively. We need we need to build consistency and stop chopping and changing every time something isn't working. All right. I mean, I don't fully agree with you when you mention uh, the Zuma thing in terms of uh, how good he was today. Yeah. Don't take. I mean, thing is, we should be fine with. Uh, we should be fine with criticizing our favorite players as well, even when they don't necessarily play well. Yeah, definitely. Criticism puts him in a lot of bad positions, but Zuma today does show that he can play on the left hand side, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. just also know that he was actually quite bad. I don't think he was decent in any way shape or form today honestly in the yeah. whole back line i think zuma aspliqueta and christensen were bad only reese james was decent today decent yeah. and i'm yeah. not going to cut him slack because he's a young player but i mean to transition from all of that to the next point because it's basically we're basically carrying on the point to the wider put on the wider scene what are your thoughts on i mean we can't keep a clean sheet man we just can't keep a clean sheet jmh why is that so Hmm. See, I think it's an interesting trend this season. So even Liverpool have been struggling to keep clean sheets and they arguably have the best defence in the league. So I don't necessarily think it's all about clean sheets. And again, do any of us expect to go into a game these days and get a clean sheet? As I said before, it's we, to win, we have to outscore teams. But I think at the moment, at least in the last four or five games, it's, it's largely been on Lampard's selection. Like centre-back's the one position you don't want to rotate in. Whether you agree or not, Zuma and Tomori this season are our best centre-back combination. Yeah. Yes, they've had shaky moments. Yes, there's been times when they've conceded and made a few mistakes. Not denying that. But I think a prime example is that the Ajax away performance. Those two together were absolutely amazing. And if Tomori stepped forward and made a tackle and missed, Zuma would then be in the spaces behind them. And just the relationship that they've built together is just its incredible to see. And you don't see that with Christensen and Zuma. They don't look like they're communicating with one another. They don't look like they know what spaces to cover when one goes and the other sits. It's just, it's completely all over the place. And I think that is partly down to Lampard and his selection. He should know by now who is his best two centre-backs. Yes, Christensen's been injured. Yes, Rudiger's due to come back from injury as well. And he might play with that a little bit. He's hinted that he wants to try out Rudiger. But in the short term, when you need a result against Valencia to ensure you get through to the next round. You don't start chopping and changing your centre-back combination. So I do think that's a big thing in terms of in terms of keeping clean sheet. But I think a simple answer is the defence just isn't good enough. We need a new left-back. We definitely need a centre-back, a, a Virgil van Dijk-esque signing just to take yeah. us to the next level. James has come in and he's been amazing, but he's still only 19. He's still getting to grips with the Premier League. He's still, he's still with that. Like, he looks exhausted in the second half of most games recently. And there's no particular reason why he should be that. He's just getting used to playing football on a consistent basis at such a high level. And it's just, yeah, it's a tough one because there's not much we can do with the transfer ban. And I'm sure we're going to get onto who we would sign to fix that problem. But yeah, it's just, mm. just there's only so much you can take with this, with the options available, really. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, Josh, I let you speak as well. Um, I want to ask you, because for me, that back line, I've always, I'm always on our four defenders, our four centre-backs. I'm going to cut Tomori some slack because he's new in these ends. And same is uh, Rhys James as well. But Rudiger, I don't know why everyone thinks Rudiger is so good. I, it really confuses me why people think he's an excellent centre-back. Not necessarily excellent, but they think he's so much better. I think it's because we're out of the game. But I mean, based on statistics, JMH, what is, 
who is our best centre-back this season so far? I mean, you can't really include Rudiger, but I mean, just based on his performances from last season, who do you think our best centre-back is? Because as far as I'm concerned, all of our centre-backs are secondary centre-backs. We don't have any leading, commanding centre-back amongst all the centre-backs we have. And if you gave me a pound for each time I just said centre-back, I'd probably be able to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. What's, what's your take on this? Well, I, I think... I think... From what we've seen in Tomori as a 21-year-old, first season in the Premier League, he has been absolutely amazing. I think he started off in a honeymoon period when he scored that amazing goal at Wolves away and he had three or four games where he just looked absolutely world-class. I think that settled down a bit and he started having a few shaky moments. He started switching off a little bit, which is what you would expect with a 21-year-old anyway. But in, in that sense, the fact he's shown that, that much promise at such a young age... I just think he is our best centre-back technically in terms of potential as well. The statistics back it up. You know me, I'm a statistics man. But even on the eye test, I think he looks an absolutely incredible centre-back. And just imagine him in three or four years' time when he's 24, 25, starting to enter the peak as you do as a centre-back. He's going to be absolutely ridiculous. So I think, why is he the one that's being dropped after such a promising run of form? If anything, it should potentially be Zuma, and I'm a massive advocate of Zuma, but I just think we should be building the future. The one that's shown the most promise under Lampard is Tomori, and the statistics back it up as well. He's making the most tackles per game. He's he's getting dribble past the least per game. He's having the most touches per game. His passes per game are incredible. He's getting 88% pass completion per game, 70, 70 passes per game, which is incredible numbers, and, and Zuma's been putting up those kind of numbers on the ball as well, but... I guess I guess the big criticism of not playing Christensen is that you can't build out from the back, particularly when we don't have Jorginho as well. It's it's noticeable, but I, I completely disagree with the idea that Zuma and Tomori aren't good on the ball. They are very good on the ball, but just not as clinical, as not as good at breaking through lines. And there's so much emphasis these days that your centre backs have to be good on the ball to build out play, and that's from the likes of Pep and Sarri and stuff. But you look at Liverpool, for example, you don't look at Van Dijk and Matip and think, oh, they play out from the back. It's more progression through the wing backs. And we're just, we're too reliant on building up through the middle. And we just need to start looking at other ways to build up play. For example, through Reese James, when he starts building a bit more consistent in terms of fitness across 90. And again, that's probably the area where we need to sign at left back. Emerson doesn't tend to build play down the left flank. And Again, we'll get onto that in in the future, but yeah, for, for me to answer your question, I think Tamori is best centre back, and I'm I'm not sure why he's been dropped recently. I think <clears> it's credit for him. Um, before I let you speak again, Josh, you speak immediately after me. Um, the thing with Tamori and Jorginho for today's game, I understand why they're both in. They've not been dropped. I think it's more of a resting thing. They both have so. to rest. I th- yeah, if they don't start against Lille, then uh, haha, we have a bit of a problem there. But let's see how that goes. But I believe I'm choosing to believe. He's resting them both. But Josh, why do you think we can't we can't keep a clean sheet this season? Jorginho. And I'm not joking. I, I genuinely think the lack of defensive cover in front of our center backs is beyond pathetic. And I love him as a player. I think technically when I look at him, I think, you know, I don't want to go off on a wild branch here, but when I look at him, he's the kind of player that I sort of see myself like I'm not the most athletic, but I, I'm pretty good at passing. So I, I, I really admire him. Mm. I just I just feel like defensively, he doesn't cover the spaces in behind well enough. And I think we've seen that when we're being counterattacked against. I think he finds himself and he gets a, way too far forward and he gets a little eager. 
and and because of that it really costs us and you know we'll get into the who would we sign later bit but i i i am a firm advocate and i know some of my friends are as well that we need to invest in a Fabinho-esque defensive midfielder as well as potentially looking at a center back and definitely looking at a left back. So, I mean, I'd say there's not one position that is at fault for our defensive woes. It's kind of just a collective effort in the defensive phase, which just isn't good enough right now. And just to, just to wrap it up quickly, um, Liverpool 16-17, right? That's Klopp's, like, essentially first-ish kind of season. Defensively, they were terrible, but going forward, they looked really good. And defensively, Liverpool didn't really get better until they made that one big guy signing Mm. who not only boosted the position, but I feel the players, you know, and obviously I'm referring to Van Dijk here, the players around him knew that this guy is going to bail me out no matter what. So they felt confident. And then from confidence, they start to play better as well. So that kind of signing, you know, like I'm not, I'm not saying it's realistic, but like a player like Khalidu Koulibaly would have that kind of impact in my opinion. So overall, um, like I said, it's a team, it's a team effort defensively. Yes, there have been individual mistakes at times, but overall, as a team, I feel we need to get better in the defensive phase and especially at defending things like counterattacks and crosses from out wide. Yeah, just to touch I on that. I don't know. I don't, sorry, GMH. I don't know if we're going to say the same thing, but I, that, that, that Jorginho argument is not... Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't... Okay, well, GMH, go on. Yeah, I was going to touch on the Jorginho. I, I, yeah. I think I think Josh has hit it spot on, and I think we're starting to see what Sari said last season that Jorginho can't play in a pivot because he can't cover the spaces that mm-hmm. a pivot requires. And I don't want to go into too much detail because you spoke about it on the previous podcast with Mediano. But yeah. I, I, a prime example is against Burnley; they were just whipping in crosses all day long, and that the centre backs could only mop up so much of that. Like they were literally crossing it whenever they got on the ball. And that's down to one, the pivot, not pushing on down the wings and two, the wing giving them too much space. And that's a combination of whoever's played at right back or left back. And I I don't want to say James is at fault because I think whenever he's played the right side of the pitch always looks stronger and they don't tend to attack down the right side. I can't remember which game it was, but James came on. I think Asby switched to left back and then all. I think it was um, one of the Champions League games or something like that. But then that team just started attacking down the left and targeting Asby. And that's I a think it was team. Ajax. Yeah, I, it, 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 I think it was one of those games. But that yeah, that just goes to show. I think our wing backs have been too generous to the opposition on the ball and just allowed them to whip in crosses and just allowed the centre backs to be exposed partially. And then again, it comes back to Kepper as well. Kepper's by no means been great this season, but. When he's getting to exposed by that many clear-cut chances, which is a combination of being uh, poor positionally by the centre-backs at times, but it's also just due to the sheer numbers of the amount of balls just going into the box and just you can't you can't defend everything. But look at Liverpool with Robertson. He's straight out to someone if they're on the ball. They're just closing down the spaces to not allow that. Or Fabinho comes over to just shut down that area and they can't they can't attack those spaces. And that's, again, what, what Josh alluded to. Jorginho doesn't provide that. And... That's a completely whole different debate that I don't want to get into because it's a midfield conundrum at the moment in terms of who needs to play, is it unbalanced, etc. 
which I will touch on later when we start talking about signings. But yeah, I think I think Josh is spot on. It's a collective effort that why we aren't getting clean sheets or looking good defensively. Yeah, it's a collective effort, definitely. But at the end of the day, like the thing with uh, Jorginho is that for me, um, in the past three games, he's been past three. He's not been really good because uh, he's not like I think that's why he and Tomori have been rested recently because even Tomori was looking a bit funky the last uh, few games as well. But at the end of the day, I don't think uh, you could... Josh, where you said, did you say the problem was a collective effort? It was Jorginho. I don't understand what you're saying just now. Well, I think I initially started it off with Jorginho, but I think, just to quickly summarize, what I'm trying to say is I think the biggest problem is that it's a collective effort, but players like Jorginho, due to his lack of mobility, certainly don't help the issue. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay, that's fair enough. All right. Um, now nah, I have to talk about this. Um, the thing is, for me, like at the end of the day, like the problem that we really have is the fact that, for example, why did we concede so many goals today? I said this on uh, Ms. Rahman's, uh, the other side of the coin. I said this on the live stream earlier on today. The thing with uh, this Kovacic and Kante um, pivot is a lot of people get excited about it, but a midfield pivot is supposed to have a player that sits behind, but none of those guys are going to do that. That's why we conceded so many goals today. At the end of the day, that Kepa and um, Zuma thing isn't happening. If we had one of those players sitting behind, but both of them already get into the to like the halfway line, and then nobody was there sitting behind. So Jorginho, as immobile as he is, that's why his statistics are so good because his vision and the fact that he sits as well provides the team some sort of like stability. If that makes any sense, yeah. Well, like, being hit on the counter attack definitely is not very is not effective at all because it's very slow. But at the end of the day, we need someone that sits. And like I said with Miriano as well, was it the other day? We need to get, if we could get someone that's like a 25, 26-year-old, a maniomatic-esque player, mm. then it would make a lot more sense. But Jorginho, yeah. I wouldn't really, I mean, yet, I wouldn't say it is mobility that's the problem. I genuinely wouldn't say that. Because if that was the issue, then I don't think we'd be losing to uh, Everton 3-1 when both Kante and Kovacic are playing. Because those are the most mobile sitting or not sitting um, lower midfield players we have, and I don't think I don't know, man. I don't want to drive on this point for too long, but all right, fair enough. Definitely, I agree with you with that one, Josh. It's a collective effort that's the problem at the moment, and even the wing backs as well. Aspilicueta yeah. left back. Yeah, I don't want to get on into. I don't want to talk about this match too much. I have more yeah. to talk about. Yeah, I, so, I really, I really agreed with that wing back point. Especially, I'll just briefly <laughs> touch on this when you brought it up, JMH, about playing out. For me, personally, I think it's a myth that Zoom and Fakayo can't play out. I think they're both really good yeah. on the ball. I think the reason that pe some people, you know, fair enough, it's their opinion, but I think the reason some people may think Christensen is better on the ball is that, I don't know, he maybe for their in their eyes is a better dribbler because his game for me is getting into the midfield more and supporting the attack that way. But overall, I mean... The right-back spot, I definitely think we can play out from because Reese is really press-resistant. Emerson is press resistant as well, but I mean, when someone like Aspilicueta is playing, you know, I, I understand he's the captain, but you really have to look at it and analyze it. And is him playing benefiting us in any sh way, shape, or form currently? And besides the Man City performance, you know, I can't really think of any outstanding performance he's had recently. So, yeah, I, I mean, just. Like, if you're going to sit back and defend like we did against City, I think Asby's a great option because yeah. there's no denying he's great at tackling, making blocks, etc. But Lampard's system is similar to Klopp's in a way that 
He wants his fullbacks to progress the ball down the wings, up and down constantly across the 90. We're starting to see that with Reese James. Like the other day, he got nine out of 10 dribbles, which is sensational. But Azbilicueta just doesn't offer you that. And yes, yeah, some, some people rate Emerson, some people don't. But at least with Emerson, you're going to get some a bit more mobility, a bit more progression, mm. which, which yeah. Lampard needs. And I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, today, I imagine he was rested in mind for the Lille game. But yeah. I'm not sure why all of a sudden Emerson isn't being looked at as a left-back or if, if Lampard thinks that Azpilicueta at left-back is to shore up the defence to because Reese is new or he's tinkering with Christensen Zuma. It just looks like at the moment Lampard completely doesn't know what his best back four is. And if you asked everyone a month ago, it'd probably be Zuma and Tomori because they were so good together. James coming in and then Emerson. But now we, doesn't, we don't know who's going to start a left-back. James seems to have the right-back slot nailed down but center back we don't know what the current pairing is and it's just that's it, it unsettles the team way too much to constantly be changing things like that like Kepper can't get his distribution right and will make mistakes because he's not used to being people being in certain situations but yeah it's it's, it's an issue and yeah as we'll touch on later it's something it's an area we need to upgrade him fair enough fair enough excellent analysis from both of you so, yeah, we'll be moving on now. I want to talk about very quickly about Lampard's substitutions today. And overall, he's gotten it right a few times. But today, what are your thoughts on how he handles his substitutions, Jeremy? Today was a strange one. It was like it's like we were watching Sarri last season. He left it yeah. way too long to, to change it. And, like, sometimes I'm okay leaving a sub for the like, final, I don't know, 15, 10 minutes. But we didn't look like scoring. We didn't look like our usual selves up front. Pulisic wasn't his, his best. Mount wasn't his best. William, I don't want to get into that. Let's not I, get into that, please. I thought Tammy had a good game. But again, he was a bit starved of service. But we just didn't look like scoring. And Lampard didn't seem to want to make a change. And then when he did make a change and took off Reese James and turned it into, a, I think it was a 3-4-3 without any wing-backs in Emerson or James, I, I still don't understand it. I still, yes, having extra striker on, great, but we just lost all our width. And at that point, I just said it's game over. There's no chance we're coming back at that point. And it just, it did not make sense to me. And I, I've been quite critical of Lampard over the last month. I think he's got his team selections wrong at times. And I think his in-game management hasn't been as good. And he's, he's shown a bit of tactical naivety recently. Example, against City, he started with Kante, Kovacic and Jorginho which you'd expect them to sit back, soak up the pressure, play on the counter against a better team. But he had them pressing up high, which just contradicts each other. And then, again, as I mentioned before, changing the centre-back partnership in a Champions League game that was tough away against Valencia, that wasn't the time to start playing around with your centre-back partnerships. And I just think, yeah, it's, it's strange. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on it about why he did the changes today and stuff. But yeah, I, I can't understand it. And it was overall just too slow to make a difference. Which change are you talking about? Are you talking about the substitution to like the team selection? Uh, today, today he was too slow, I was saying. to that. Well, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think he was he was quite slow today. I was quite shocked that he came up with um, those substitutions that late yeah. in the game as well. And uh, bringing back Tryon for his James out of it. I mean, I, initially I didn't understand it, but then I thought about it. I think he went to three at the back. So he kind of needed uh, he kind of needed uh, Aspinacueta to form like a low block with Zuma and Tomori. No, with Zuma and Christensen. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I was expecting him to be a lot quicker with the substitutions. But then again, I was even expecting that lineup. But I mean, that's what my take on it is. Josh, real quick, anything to say on that? 
Yeah, I mean, like JMH said, ever since the international break, I don't think Lampard has hit it spot on with a lineup out of the five games that we've now played or something like that. And it's a bit worrying because obviously we all love him and we want him to do well, but, you know, he's starting to show some flaws and some weakness. And, you know, I think he will learn from it. Hmm. because he's not a stupid guy. He's really, really smart. And he's shown, like, in, you know, the first few months before the last international break that he can get us playing some really good football. It's just when the times are getting rough now and it's the Christmas period and we're not going to play the most pretty football, can we grind out results, you know what I mean? Um, I think that's where he's kind of getting it a tiny bit wrong. And... Like today, the lineup for me, it, it was not what it needed to be at all. I, for me personally, I felt Fakayo needed to start. I felt Emerson needed to start. I felt Callum needed to start as well because I felt he could really, really um, run at the Everton defense today, which we really didn't have a lot of. We didn't have a lot of direct play today, which is unlike us. So, yeah, and then going on to his substitutions, I mean, Aspilicueta, I think was nothing short of horrible today. I can't remember a time like where he contributed anything to the attack whatsoever. And he subs off Reese James, who is, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of our best attacking threats on the right wing, if not the best attacking threat. And he leaves Aspie on. I couldn't. I couldn't understand it. Um, I I agreed with the Callum substitution to bring him on. Um, and then the Michi substitution, I mean, I, that was for Reese, I believe. Um, yeah, I, his substitutions, like, really, I just didn't agree with one of them. But I just feel that the one was just so wrong that I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, individuals cost us today, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Just individual stupid mistakes. It was a collective individual cluster. <laughs> you know what to put there. Yeah. If yeah, that makes I if agree. that makes any sense, it was individual. It was a co- collection of individual mistakes. Yep. And statistically as well, I'm t- taking a page out of JMH's book here. I did a bit of research myself. Since we've gone down one by any since by any time we've gone down this season, we haven't come back to get a single point. Anyone more than like if anybody knows anything about comebacks, it's Frank Lampard, <laughs> comeback king Chelsea. And I don't know why this team isn't being able to do that from the start of the season. They need to have a stronger spine, man. Honestly, so if if they go go down, they haven't gotten a single point from any of the games that they've gone to go down first in, which yeah. is kind of disappointing. But can anyways, can I quickly can I quickly touch on that for a second? Just quickly, have twenty seconds, because well, because yeah, I mean, all right, quickly. I don't really think that's even a thing of Lampard, though. If we look at it, I think it's probably a thing of the past. Because, I mean, last season, you know, for us to win games under Sarri, we'd have to score the first goal to win. And I think maybe that's perhaps continued into this season a bit and really won't change until, you know, Lampard has allowed a few transfer windows to get um, the team that he wants on the pitch, per se. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we'll be going on to the last talking point about the game very quickly because we're running out of time. 
Why is Kovacic so damn good this season, guys? Because at the end of the day, that's the only person that has, like, that's the only bright spark from today. I mean, I reckon it's a change of position. But then, I mean, Jermaine, from what you're looking at, what else do you think is changing with Kovacic? Do you think it's Lampard's inspiration or Kovacic is just a lot more free? Because, I mean, obviously, he's changed his position a bit more now. But what do you think is uh, making him play so well? There's a midfield dilemma at the moment, which we'll touch on. I want to touch on when we get into the the signing section. But, yeah, I, th- I think you, you hit it spot on. It's just Lampard's playing him in the position that he's best in, a deep-lying progressor of the ball. It's similar to Moussa Dembele at Spurs, that you should just take the ball in front of the defence, dribble it up the pitch and pass around. But he's just absolutely elite at every game. He puts up 90-plus percent plus completion. And and recently he's been getting, today for example, he got two key passes uh, the game before he got four key passes. So he's starting to create more as well. And we've seen now he's scored two amazing goals, which I think is a credit to Lampard drilling it in in training. And they've been mentioning it in press conferences saying that he needs to shoot more and get in goal scoring positions. So if he continues this trend of scoring goals and creating good chances, we're potentially looking at one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world. And I have no doubt. I think only only Verratti comes close that he's the most press resistant centre mid in the world that on the ball and transition. So, yeah, I keep saying he needs a rest, but every game he just keeps getting better and better. And yeah, it's by far player of the season so far, the most consistent player we have. Mm, mm. All right, fair enough then. Fair analysis. But now we're going to be moving on to Kaz now. If you're tuning in directly at this point, welcome. I mean, I left the timestamps in the description, so you should be getting this right now if I did things correctly. If my maths was bad, I apologise. But now we're going to be talking about this Kaz overturn. I mean, they overturned the ban. Um, what do you guys think of this? Because I read through this, the um, actual description from Kaz, and one of the three things we were accused of were true. Do you guys think there's an agenda against Chelsea, Jeremy? Uh, it's that famous Mourinho quote, isn't it? There's a campaign against <laughs> <laughs> No, I do, I do think it's strange for them to, uh, as you said, if only one of the three factors were true and they've then gone back on their word, it just doesn't reflect well on them. And I think a huge credit to Chelsea. They came out and uh, I believe they attacked Cass or FIFA or both and said, look, we admitted our mistakes. We, we've came out and said we've done wrong. But City got investigated for the same thing and only got a small fine, I think, of a few hundred K. Didn't get a ban at all. It's just, where's the equal treatment? Or where's the where's the money? Energy. Yeah, where, where's the money for the damages that we faced because because we couldn't have a transfer window? That that could be jeopardising to our season. Like Everyone went in saying, oh, top four, there's not a chance of it because we don't have a transfer window. We lost our best player. But if they've if they never had that decision in the first place, who knows how good we could have been this season? Like we're already very good so far. So yeah, it's strange for them to overturn it. Obviously happy that it's been overturned, but I just think it's a mess from them, the fact that it's got to this position and how they've treated a similar situation in City. But I think one word to describe it is potentially just corrupt and whatever goes on behind the scenes, it's it's strange. I saw I saw a journalist, a Chelsea journalist the other day, he said he worked at FIFA or something like yeah, that. I saw he, said, that. I saw he said when he mentioned Chelsea, everyone turned and said to them, you can't mention that around here. Like they definitely had something against Chelsea. I don't know how true that is, but yeah, that's that's what it seems like from this decision and just the general treatment against Chelsea. Shocker, absolute shocker. I mean, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I have maintained for a while that not only in 
world football, but just in business, the business world and just the world in general. As an organization, FIFA is by far the most pathetic organization there is on earth. You know, like we said, where is the consistency? You know, uh, we we all know that Sheikh Mansour has put his oil money into FIFA a bit. It, it's not surprising. You know, it is very corrupt, like JMH said. Like, the fact that we are accused of, you know, so much stuff and only found guilty of one-third of it, when even in, during the statement, the, the one-third of stuff that we were found guilty for, every single other Premier League club was doing at the same time in 2009. And not only that, we asked the FA if it was okay what we were doing, and they said it was. Really? I didn't know that. I read that. Yeah, I, I, believe, I, yeah, I read that as well. I, read I believe I read that. I believe yeah, I read did, that in did. the article. So when you think about it that way, technically we aren't in the wrong at all. <laughs> mm. and, and when you think about it even more, again, it's FIFA potentially jeopardizing our season. And... It's just so baffling that they would do such a thing. And I ha- I have had a hunch for a while that this entire thing was just to make an example to the football world about what happens if you do do this or, uh, you know, if you f- are accused of doing this or whatever. You get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. They, they wanted to make an example out of us. And as an organization... How can you make an example out of an elite club in Europe and potentially jeopardize their season? You know, top four right now is by no means done. You know, we we could capitulate. We could finish fifth or sixth. I don't think it'll happen, but there is a possibility. And at the end of the day, them not giving us a transfer window this summer has a decent part to play to it. So... Mm -hmm. It's really, really disgraceful from FIFA, and I think if anything, they should be the ones that are getting fined for this, and substantially as well. Mm. Mm. I mean, there's an agenda against uh, Chelsea FC, and uh, it's as simple as that. I think that's what I genuinely do think there's an agenda against Chelsea FC, but I'm never going to get into that as a discussion because it's pretty much relevant. Chelsea, I mean, FIFA took their L. We're going to sign players in January. And speaking of signing players in January, JMH, I want to ask you, there's this popular argument that's been going around on the TL about people saying we need a left-footed winger on the right wing. Now, I mean, what would that necessarily bring to the table? Obviously, I mean, you could... It's crossing would be different. And everyone is thinking of Zayek. Was it Zayek? I don't know how to pronounce his name. But, um, everyone, Ziyech. Yeah, everyone is thinking of Ziyech. But I want to ask you, what exactly would that bring to the table? And who, which would you prefer? Would you prefer a left-footed right-winger or a right-footed right-winger? I'm massively unbiased towards a left-footed right-winger. And I think, I think there's two areas in the team that we are quite unbalanced in. One is height, which sounded uh, quite yeah. most last season. And that's why he chose to play Alonso, apparently. And the second one is the availability of left-footed players. Like, if Asby is playing left-back, we don't have correct me if I'm wrong, any other players in the team that can use their left foot or primary, primarily use their left foot, which, yeah, as a professional footballer at that level, you're expected to use both feet. But naturally, wingers aren't very good at being two-footed. There's only a select few in the world that can do it to an elite level. And you see that with Pulisic, Hudson-Odoi in our team, 
William, they're very, very right foot. And they, when they play left wing, they prefer to cut in. When they play right wing, they, they prefer to go out and then cross. They can't cut in the left foot if they're playing right wing. So, yeah, I, I think a left-footed right winger just adds a different dynamic to an attack. It's it's predictable that they're going to cut in, but if you're an elite player that can cut in on left foot like Iron Robin, you can't beat it. Oh. It's a very good shot. Yeah. And that, that that's why I, I'd rather us sign a left-footed right winger over someone like Sancho, who is a fantastic prospect, a fantastic talent now. But I just think statistics show as well, Sancho is better on the left. And do we want another player that is primarily right-footed in a team that doesn't have any left-footed players. I, I would say, no, I'm not I'm not going to complain if we sign Sancho. He's, he's great. But if we had the option, if you put the two to select, I would, I would go for a left-footed right-wing any day of the week. But uh, I guess the, the as we're going to go into next is who fits that bill. But it's a yeah. tough one. I'm asking you, who, who fits that bill, actually? Because uh, I was having a discussion with Matisse early on. Yeah. Someone, and he was saying that the thing with Zayek is is that a lot of people want him to come sign for us. But think about the Eredivisie is a league where you have players trying to like develop. He's 26 years old. Yeah, he's putting in a few numbers here and there, but he's playing for the best team in the league. He's 26 years old. And I think he's very one-dimensional as well. I don't think if he comes... I mean, it's the same problem with Mohamed Salah. Mohamed Salah was fantastic for one season, pretty much one season. Don't get me... I'm not saying he's not a good player, well, he was pretty, was fantastic, unplayable for one season. But now, his left foot is so predictable. And I think that's what happened to Zayek as well. So, I want to ask you, who do you think would fit that bill? That person as a left-footed right-winger. What, what are you saying? Who would you say? I mean, you could say Zayek as well, but I'm just, that's just my opinion on him anyways. Yeah, I think Zayek is a fantastic talent. And I think we've seen in the Champions League this season, he is amazing. There's no denying his quality. But it is strange how he had a 25 million release clause last summer and no big club took a risk on it. That's Even what I'm saying. But don't you think that's like because Manchester he's... United or... Yeah, it could, it could be that he's too system dependent and I'm not... And sure. he's one-dimensional as well. Yeah, I'm not sure he should suit the pace of the Prem, but there's no denying his quality. And I think, again, if, if we signed him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be turning my eye to him or just be disappointed. But there's also a risk as well when deciding who to sign is that Pulisic is, what, 20? hudson Adoy 19? William and Pedro are likely to go on at the end of this season. Do we want to sign another young winger, which makes our attack even more experienced? I think there's a bit of balance that we could choose to go for there. And, and I, I'd personally go for Usman Dembele of Barcelona. And yes, there I, we go. Yeah, there I, we go. I, the, the main the main critique of him is one his attitudes and two his injury record and he's just got injured again recently but I think in terms of a player that can play on either foot at right wing can cut in go out wide hit the ball in the top corner hit a low shot he is an absolutely fantastic talent and we're looking at what Sancho is doing now at Dortmund Dembele done that two three years ago at a similar age and I think because he's had such a tough spell at Barcelona and I want to put that down to Valverde not being a great yeah. manager, not using him correctly and also transitioning away from Neymar. I just think people are judging him on a bad spell, but his raw talent is there. And if he could get over his injuries, and I'm sure I'm sure his attitude would be pushed out under Lampard in, in, in a new team, a fresh start. But yeah, without a doubt, he's the player I'd go for at right wing. And I think, I think we could get him at a cut price and have a bit of limited competition and get him as well. Mm, yeah. I mean... Uh, Josh, really quick, real quick on this discussion. Like JMH said, Usman Dembele. I don't think I have seen, you know, I, I haven't watched football for like 40 years, obviously, because I haven't been alive for 40 years. But 
for, for my time watching football, I don't think I've seen a player like Usman Dembele who is that two-footed. Mm. You know, he he is a very, very elite and exciting prospect and an elite talent at that. And when people say, oh, I don't want to sign an elite of an elite player who could potentially go on to be top five in the world, in my opinion, because of his injury record. I mean, I think for me, that's a risk I'm willing to take. And it's a risk I'm willing to take because I look at our injury department in itself. You know, I think if we're going to be an elite side like Man City, we will have the players. So if Usman is feeling, you know, not not at his best, we can rest him for a game and play him and, and when he's feeling fully fit. But also we have an, an injury department that has, you know, gotten a player such as Callum Hudson-Odoi who ruptured his Achilles in April, playing football matches in October. Mm. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think people really understand how ridiculous that is. Yeah. Like, like that, is, that is a major, potentially career-ending injury, and six months later, he was back on the pitch. So I, I back our medical staff, I back our medical department, um, and I definitely... If Usman Dembele were to be available, I would be very disappointed if we did not go for him. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. Great analysis by both of you then. I want to ask you now, before we get on to questions for GMH, now, we, this is January, okay, and um, a lot of people have been going around saying that, um, and even, I don't know, I mean, everyone, it's a game of sources. I keep saying this, um, this um, transfer thing is a game of sources. And a lot of people, reliable people, have been mentioning one name, Wilfred Zaha. I really do not need that guy at my club, but because my pro- I really do not want him at my club. Honestly, I've said it several times in the past. But with him in mind as well, who do you guys think we would realistically be able to sign in January and would actually make a significant difference to the squad? I want to start off with you, Jeremy. I think we need to avoid the mistakes in the past of just signing players for the sake of it. Yeah, and definitely. So far from the club, from the press conference, it seems we're heading in that direction that we're not going to make panic signings for the sake of it. And yeah, we do need signings. There's no denying that. But January is just notoriously a difficult market to shop in. Players' prices are inflated because clubs don't want to sell. And you only really get a player in January who's at a top level if they're unsettled. So yeah, we need a centre-back. Are we going to get someone like Koulibaly in January? Very unlikely. And if we do, we're probably going to have to pay over the odds. It's the same at left-back as well. Chilwell is the obvious signing we want to go for. But are Leicester going to sell in the middle of the season when they're pushing for the top four as well? I can't see it personally happening. So I think that's what we get need to get right first. If we can't get our number one or number two signing, we shouldn't, we shouldn't try for it. And we should just see out the season and go with the flow that we planned at the start of the season that this is an introductory season, a transition season without a transfer ban. We've been fortunate enough that it's been overturned, but I think almost treat it as if as, as if it, it didn't happen and the plan still is to go for our main targets in the summer. Yes, if they become available, go for it. If someone like Timo Werner at, as a striker is available in January, go for it. But again, are Leipzig going to sell in January when they're pushing for the title? Very unlikely. I mean, what what do you guys think? Do you think there's anyone out there realistically that we could go for in January that's going to improve our squad? Uh, I mean, Josh, realistically, who do you think we could? I don't... Because thing is, I've, I would love a left-back and um, a winger, but I don't want... This Because the thing is, a lot of people come out saying, oh, blocking the youth and all that. Yeah, I agree with that, but 
we can't be signing players like Zaha or any of those type of things. And I would love to a like, left back, but he's not going anywhere. Leicester is in, I mean, Leicester is freaking their second. Like they're in a better position to challenge the title than Manchester City at this point in time. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really know who he could actually sign. So, I mean, Josh, do you think there's anyone who could realistically sign that would make a massive difference? Realistically? I mean, realistically in January, I don't want both of you to laugh your heads off at me and hear me out. I think we could sign Sancho in January. Well, no, no, but, Sancho is yeah, yeah, Sancho's definitely... All right, all right, cool, 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 cool. I think we could sign Sancho in January, but I don't know if he's necessarily needed in January. Don't get me wrong if he's available in January. I think we should go for him then or at least get something ready for the summer, similar to how we did the Pulisic deal last January. Um, but I think if he is available, you know, like I just said, let's get something in place. But I don't really think there's that many high-caliber high players that would leave, like, really, like, a player like Ben Showell, who I think we really need. Um, I, I don't see him leaving a high-flying Leicester City team to join us at all, really. I mean, there, there's maybe a, a very small chance, but I don't see it, ha- see it happening. And for a player like uh, Koulibaly, I don't know if it's possible that Napoli drop into the Europa League group. But, I mean, I haven't even seen any links, recent links to us with him. And uh, it, with that... I just, you know, I, I think it's uh, it, that is such a high-profile signing that it would probably be done in the summer as well. So I don't really think there are too many players out there that would come to us in January that would make a massive difference to the team. And I think I'm thinking more from a defensive standpoint because I think, obviously, that's where we, we are at our weakest. Yeah. And... Like like we've been talking about, I don't want to go out there and sign like, you know, Nathan Aki or something. Yeah, like I don't exactly. I don't want to sign a five foot ten Nathan Aki. We already are short enough. We need a strong commanding center back. Yeah. And so, even like that as well. Sorry to cut you off right there, but a strong yeah, commanding okay. center back has to be that has to take place in July because, like I said before as well, agree, this yeah. partnership that Tomori and Zuma have at the moment. Let's not try and break that. Let's not try and introduce a new. Because the thing is, a lot of people tend to forget that. I mean, for us, it's kind of like, I won't blame people for treating like some. Obviously, everyone put out their tweet saying, oh, Don Roman, I would put that one as well. But realistically, at the end of the day, if you're not signing a world-class player that can slot into the team and be effective immediately, it's very useless. We've done so many signings in the past in January that flopped horrendously. So there's no need for us to rush out and buy. Like like I said, if you're going to buy a centre-back in general, that doesn't make sense. Even if you want to buy the best centre-back on the planet, I mean, probably will make definitely make a difference. But what if the person flops? Because they're just dropping them in the back. You guys get what I'm trying to say, basically. I don't think we should just sign any and anyone just for, like, a short-term fix. That's why I'm not satisfied with this Zaha thing that I keep hearing. Nathan Ake, I don't need any of that. So, but, yeah, I'm going to ask. I'm going to let you guys have a bit of fun, though. I'm going to let you guys have a bit of fun, though. Real quickly, so we can get on to the questions for GMH. You guys should give me two players you would love to sign for this transfer window. Jeremy, I'll start with you. Ten seconds. Go. Um, realistic. Oh, I'm not going to have ten seconds. I'm not sorry. realistically. Not realistically. No. At, at, it, right. I, at, no, I'm going to go for realistic. I think generally yeah. we could get one of Zaha or Dembele. Uh, sorry, Sancho or Dembele because Dembele is unsettled at Barcelona. Sancho's yeah. had a bit of rift, rift at Dortmund. And uh, you, I know you won't like this, Dami, but 
if we're looking at Zaha as someone that's more experienced than someone who can play across the front yeah, yeah. as a force nine striker as well, so as our backup striker and our backup right wing, I think if we got rid of Bacharari, Giroud, Pedro and William and Zaha kind of covered those four roles as a, as a backup and as well as signing another right winger, I would be happy with it then. And I think mm. it improves the team currently for the rest of the year. And I just think in, if we could go for a Sancho or Dembele and embed them for six months, that would be a much better option than trying to sign them in summer and embed them then. Mm. All right. Let me just clarify that Zaha thing real quick. My problem with Zaha is not that. thing is, I don't really think he's top team level, but obviously he can definitely put in the shift if he signs for Chelsea. My only problem with Zaha is not, this is not the kind of signing where we can be like, okay, we sign Wilfred Zaha, use it for the rest of the season and get rid of him. He's going to be there for a few years. Yeah, no, no. Do you know, that's my problem with it. So the thing is, and I don't think he's going to want to sit on the bench if, because I think this Sancho thing is looking inevitable, honestly. And we're going to have Pulisic, Callum hudson Doy, and Sancho. And they're all ahead of Zaha for me. Yeah. He can definitely put in a shift, but I just don't want him to. I'm just thinking of the long term. Do you know what I mean? Definitely, yeah. if you told me, Zaha over that Brazilian step over Merchant any day, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. Zaha yeah. over Pedro, but... I don't know. Yeah, but what do you want to say? If it, if it was Zaha to be signed as our backup striker slash third or fourth choice winger, I would be okay with that. But I wouldn't want to sign Zaha if that means we didn't sign someone like Sancho or Dembele at right wing. Like that, yeah, that. that's what I mean. That's yeah, what I'm doing. Yeah. All right, Josh, real quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, like JMH said, I mean, I would kill for Usman Dembele. Um, and... You know, I think if Sancho were to come in January, that would be really, really good as well because let's not kid ourselves, he's an elite talent. And like you said, Dami, I mean, there's part of me that thinks he already has a foot through the door. There's just mm. so much logic pointing towards him coming to us that it's it would be kind of weird seeing him end up in a place like United. But anyway, I think, I think that uh, those really... An attacking player that could seamlessly fit in, that wouldn't have that much of an adjustment period and would fit the system really well, which I think both of those players would do. Um, so, yeah, I'd say them for January. And then, like, a commanding center back, not for January, but for the future. I agree, Dami, how you said, um, let's let's stick with Fakayo and Zuma and see how they go because, you know, as center back pairings go... You need to give them time, and you know, realistically, they haven't had too much time to deal with it. And mm. not to mention, Zuma hasn't had too too much game time in his career so far, and Fakayo is still really young. So, let's as we're speaking, they're still a young center back pairing. So let's just see how they gel together. I mean, um, Zuma's twenty five, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, he, I'm saying though, like injury has hampered him, um, sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, I think in terms of defensive partnerships like that, I think it's wise to wait until there's a preseason where there can be um, time for a new player to potentially come in and gel as a center-back pairing. But, yeah, those would really be my only two. And then I guess I'll just give my opinion on Zaha quickly. I actually quite like Zaha because I think he's a very direct player. He loses the ball a bit too much for my liking. However, he essentially right now has kept Crystal Palace up for like the past two seasons because their squad is very poor in my opinion. 
and he's the only t- player in it that I can say, wow, really, really good player. Um, if he came to us, I agree. No way, shape, or form is he in a starting role for us. However, I do think that he he would be a good rotational player for us. And I, I, if if we were to sign him, I would be happy with the signing because I think he can cover um, three positions up front: left wing, right wing, and potentially um, striker, and gives us a, a bit of a different dimension at striker. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be for the Zaha deal, but. Like you guys said, the biggest thing is if we sign Zaha, I don't want to make it so, oh, we sign Zaha, but we don't sign either one of Sancho or Dembele because for me, one of those two is, it's a must signing. Mm. Fair enough. Thing is, also to the listeners as well, thing is with Zaha, obviously if he signs for us, I want him to play fantastically well and I want him to up his game. But right now, as long as he's not a player for Chelsea, I really do not want him. But if he does come, I'm definitely going to be supporting him. Now... I'm going to move on to... So, basically, that's going to be sort of the end of the Kaz talk for this episode. We're going to talk about it in future episodes. But now, I want to ask... JMH has a lot of questions. We're going to just turn this into the uh, personal part of the interview. So, JMH, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a financial advisor slash accountant for a big accounting firm. A massive Chelsea fan, as, as mm. you guys obviously know. Bit of a gym fanatic, but yeah, it's high level summary. High level summary, astute, my how, how do you have a thing for tactics? Is it because of the finances? Uh, the guess, statistics, I, sorry. I, yeah, I guess the stats come from, yeah, I work with numbers a lot, so I'm always keen to look after a game to, just to see how, how they've done. Because, yeah, first and foremost, I think the eye test is always the first. Yeah. But then I think stats kind of contextualizes that a little bit. And it was, Sometimes removes biases, sometimes removes when you think someone's amazing and then you look, oh, they wasn't actually that good statistically. So, yeah, I always looked at them. I guess I thought if I'm interested in them, I guess other people would be interested in them. And, yeah, it's clear to see the last few months I've been posting the stats, everyone's taken to them quite well. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it comes from just yeah, being quite a maths person growing up as a kid and all that stuff. Fair enough, fair enough. I want to ask you, how did you become a Chelsea fan? Oh, slightly controversial topic there. Really? <laughs> but, yeah, so I was having this talk with Mediana as well, and um, we was messaging each other. So my dad's actually a Spurs fan, and my brother's an Arsenal fan. So when I was like, wow, okay. before I could speak, my dad had me in a Spurs shirt. And then, yeah, I, I, when I started getting a bit older, I started following my brother a little bit, started supporting Arsenal. But then when I actually could think for myself, as like a four or five-year-old, something like that, and I was playing like FIFA 90, 90, I'd always sign Zola. Or whenever I could play with him, I always like playing using Zola because he was kind of similar to Hazard that you could just make anything happen on FIFA. And then when I started watching him, like match of the day and things like that, I just grew to like Chelsea. And then when they signed Lampard and had Terry, it's just it was just an amazing team to watch. And yeah, I just fell in love with them and stuck with them since. And Lampard's always been my favorite player, so yeah, it's a little bit of that. And then the glory day started just just right after them. Wisdom in high places. In a household with Arsenal and Spurs fans, we decided to choose blue. Fantastic decision. <laughs> Absolutely stupendous. But anyways, jokes aside, I'm going to ask some of the questions that um, some of the listeners have for you, actually. And I apologise if I butcher anybody's name because uh, I'm not the best at pronouncing names. But the first question I'm going to ask you, this person has a few questions for you. This is... And Anirud, 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 at Puli Cheek, 
So he's asking quite a few questions, but we've covered some of them in the podcast before. But the first one I'm going to be asking you is, he says, Mason Mount has not been impressive statistically with goals and assists, playing as a central attacking midfielder and being the main set-piece taker. But why is he still the main man for Frank Lampard? See, I love Mount, first and foremost. I think he's a fantastic player. I think some of his traits just aren't something you can see on the eye. It's, it's something you have to like really focus on. So, for example, the the way he occupies space or can move between lines, receive the ball on a half turn, etc. I think he's very, very good at that. That being said, I do think he's massively benefited from coming into a team that was injury struck and had a transfer ban. But he's taken that opportunity. He's performed fantastically well when he has played and particularly He's dipped a little bit in the last few few weeks. There's no denying that he hasn't been as good. But I think people look at his stats and try and think, right, he's playing number 10. He has to be dictating play. He has to be creating everything. But the number 10 role has transi- transitioned away from the likes of Ozil. I keep telling so them. I can no longer them. afford to have a luxury number 10. And, and Mount isn't that. He, yes, we would like him to be a bit more creative. We would like him to sometimes take the game by the scruff of the neck. But as we saw the other day, he scored the winning goal. He's at the right place at the right time. I think... That, that's a lot of his skill set, just being in the right place at the right time. And that that's not a coincidence. That's not out of luck. It's, that's through knowing how to occupy spaces and manoeuvre between lines and interact with your striker, interact with your wingers. He's very good at that. But again, when Loftus-Cheek comes back, I don't think he fits into our strongest eleven. But in two to three years' time, I think he'll be a fantastic talent and be one of the best in the world or in the best in the league at what he does specifically. But he'll always get that that discredit that he doesn't make enough passes or doesn't doesn't create enough. But that's not his game. If you judge him like that, then you're going to be disappointed. Same if you judge William as a goal scorer or a creator, you're going to be disappointed because that's not his game. So William has no game, man. Honestly, not even good. <laughs> well, that's he a separate has... that's a separate debate. But yeah, I think Mount's a fantastic player, and he'll just keep getting better and better. He's going to be a fantastic servant to Chelsea over the years. Mm-hmm. Fair enough then. Um, I want to ask you another question I have from him is evaluation of Frank Lampard's managerial career at a big club like Chelsea so far and whether the transfer ban helped us to judge the use we should hold on to for the future. I should have read that before I said it. But yeah, just answer that in a minute or so. Yeah, so I- I'll be honest. I, I was slightly sceptical skeptical about Lampard coming in. I thought it was too early. Mm. I can put my hands up and say I was clearly wrong. The the man tactically is, is a genius and I didn't know he was that good. He showed signs of it at Derby, but I thought I didn't know he was disestablished and disastute in terms of tactics, in terms of deploying a pressing system. The way he has us pressing from the front is one of the best teams in the world and it's, it's still early days. It's only going to get better and we do need to work on doing that sustainable across 90 minutes. So yeah, it, all, all factor considered, he's been amazing and if if we can get top four and have a good cup run, have a good Champions League run, it'll be a fantastic season. I, I think I think you guys will agree this is probably one of the most enjoyable seasons just because we're having a good time. We're, in, we're enjoying Frank, a legend of the club, being being mm. our manager. He's integrating youth. We're starting to correct the mistakes at board level and stuff. It's, it's a great season. It's a great platform to build on. As we touched on earlier, a slight criticism in recent weeks, I think he... He's kind of he doesn't currently know his best eleven, and he's tweaking too much of it. And he needs to get over that tactical naivety. And City's a prime example of that, knowing when to be a bit more pragmatic, as Jose said in his interview, and knowing when to sit back and play on the counter. As he's shown, he can be tactical versatile, tactically versatile. But 
yeah, I, I think a lot of his mistakes will, will just continue to be sewn out, ironed out over time. And just, yeah, he's going to keep getting better. His in-game management's going to keep getting better. And if you looked at the start of the season, we were saying he's not changing enough. He's not making the right substitution. He he got better at that. Same with the zonal marking. He saw it wasn't working and he, he scrapped that. He got, he got a balance of man marking and zonal marking. And that looks much better. So he, he's learning on the job. He's doing fantastic. And yeah, I just think we're going to get better and better. And I honestly believe in a season or two or three, we'll be challenging for the title. Mm. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. Now, at Mediano Era, my man, asking you, your goals and ambitions in the immediate future and a couple of years down the road, and your thoughts on Chelsea's best XI and why? Uh, so to break down the first one, current goals, so I'm still doing exams, I'm studying towards being a chartered accountant, which I'm expected to finish next year, and then I can just focus on my career. So that's the immediate goal. Long term, I've always been interested in doing property developing and always, always going to be interested in following Chelsea. So, yeah, just yeah, qualifying for my exam, continue to push on at work and, yeah, hopefully developing a, developing a property portfolio to, to build on. Mm. Um, to break down, was his second question the strongest 11? Yes, thoughts on Chelsea's best exam. Well, I'm guessing he means strongest 11, yeah. Uh, I'll tweak it slightly, that question, tweak it slightly and say our current 11 available. So that would be Kepa in goal. He needs to stay there. There's no chance we play Caballero. Saw that going around today. Reece I saw James. that. Clowns. <laughs> but I prefer not to call names. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Reese James, obviously at right back. I think he's our best youth talent. And I think if anyone's a generational talent, that is Reese James. I think he's fantastic mm. defensively, offensively. Uh, Zuma Tomori as our centre-back partnership, simply because Tomori looks like he's got the highest ceiling of them all. He's been impressive in, in, in the streak he had in the team. Zuma, just because they had the best partnership together and the numbers Zuma's putting up as a right centre-back have been fantastic. So I don't see the reason to change that. Left-back, I'd go Emerson. As we discussed previously, I, I don't like Asby at left-back. And I think people, when they say, let's play Asby at left-back, are thinking of how he was under Mourinho. He's not yeah. that same player anymore, and it's a completely different system. We need a progressive fullback, and I'm not saying Emerson is amazing. He's definitely not an elite talent, which, despite his early season showing that he was putting up elite numbers, he isn't that defensively and offensively. Let's be honest. He's just an upgrade on Alonso and a good one, and I think he can he can be good for Chelsea this season if we don't get someone in January. But yeah, he's, he's definitely better for what Lampard wants to do than Aspi at left-back. Um, currently... See, I don't want to go into too much detail because I think the midfield is just a completely unbalanced offensively. Obviously, yeah. they have the talent, the best three are Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic. Whether that's the best for the team, I'd, I'd be... I'd, I'd I'd even, I'm sorry for cutting you right I'd, there, but I'd, I'd even ask you, do you 4 2 3 1 or 4 3 3? I prefer 4 3 3, but... Okay. Are, are the best 4 3 3 at the moment, being what the three I just said, isn't okay. good enough offensively. And if you look at Liverpool... I'd kind of say they're similar in their three in the middle. They aren't good offensively, but their front three are just elite at everything they do. And as good as our front three have been, they aren't good enough to carry a whole team offensively. So that's why I think currently, yeah, I'd go for a 4-2-3-1 with Mount in the middle as the number 10-esque role. And I would go for Kante and Kovacic as Mediano said in the last podcast. But again, don't want to go into too much detail. And then, yeah, I'd probably say Pulisic at right wing, Hudson-Odoi left wing and then obviously Tammy up front. But 
Yeah, let's see. As when Loftus Cheek come back, I think he solves that midfield unbalance. Yeah, and I'd go for Loftus Cheek, Jorginho, and Kante Kovacic rotate on the right centre mid spot. Perfect, perfect. All right, and now I have another question from Mubolaji Sani Yeah, he's asking who is the best centre back. Uh, easily Tomori. Tomori. All right, that's his first question. His second question is: Do we actually need, or hmm, do we actually? I, I think he's saying: Do we actually need another centre back, or the current ones just have to step up? Uh, no, we definitely need a centre back. I, as much as I like Zuma, I don't think he's a world class, elite level centre back in terms of if a Vir- Virgil Van Dijk as centre back that will lead our team. I, I think, yeah, 100% we need a new centre-back. And, yeah, as we discussed previously, if we can't do it in January, let's not rush and sign someone unnecessarily. I think we should do that in summer. Perfect. And his last question is interesting. Would you ever want to be a coach? I've thought about this. and See, wh- when I played football, I, I played, like, CDM role. And, uh, my friends used to say I kind of like Carrick. I'd done the, the basic things right and just moved the ball onto the players that were better. Ooh, Declan Rice, ha, <laughs> ha. You could say that, could say that. Um, <laughs> so playing that position, I, I kind of, I'd like to say I read the game well, whether others would agree with that. So yeah, I don't know, maybe if I had a kid one day and had a son, like he had a local team, I'd do a bit of coaching like that. But no, I can't see, can't see myself going into coaching, like what Sari done and quitting the finance job and trying to conquer the elite of Europe in football. Mm. Who knows, who knows, maybe one day. All right, all right, that's fair, man. I mean, Josh, do you have any questions for GMH? Um, I mean, we've asked so many questions that it's just kind of hard to think of any. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. All right, I I've had one um, that I don't know has been pondering upon my mind. Say this is a massive hypothetical. Um, say we were to sign a, a striker who is an elite talent striker. So like. I like a Lautaro Martinez, for example, from Inter. Um, in in a four three three, who would you start between him or Tammy, and why? Can I change the premise of the question, or can I respond differently to the? Yeah, yeah, tweak it, tweak it, man. This is, it was just a very broad. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I, I. See, I think that in an ideal world, yes, we can we sign the best striker as possible. We have two strikers going at it, competing for a starting place. But realistically, that doesn't happen. Look at Spurs. like They've been trying to sign a backup to Kane for years, and the top striker will not sign if they think they're not going to get enough game time. And in my, in my opinion, Tammy has shown everything to be one of the best strikers in the world in the future, and some people might disagree with that. He's definitely got areas to improve on, i.e. his hold-up play, his creativity, I think, it showed signs of improvement recently, but in terms of his movement, his ability to score goals, it's been incredible. And I don't think he's had enough service. And I think his criticism that he doesn't score against big teams has been down to the players around him rather than him. He's yeah, been I do agree with that. fantastic in my mind. I think he could even have more goals than what he has now. Like he's he's not running hot by any means. He's got all of his goals down to his movement, down to his finishing ability. So realistically, I. I'd like to sign someone like Martinez or Werner or Jovic, but I just I can't see them actually joining us over getting first team football elsewhere. So yeah, if to answer your question, who would I start over Abraham and Martinez? 
probably Abraham because I think he suits he suits Lampard's system more. He, he's he's the, usually the first yeah. one to press the defense. He's usually leading the press, and as good as Martinez is, he's kind of similar to Aguero before Pep came in. As in, he doesn't press. He's not the most. He's not someone to get in the right spaces. He's absolutely fantastic what he does and. Credit to some people, they 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 saw his talents before this season. He is definitely the the next Aguero, if you like. But yeah, realistically, I just don't see us signing him. Hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, I think that's pretty much. I think we've covered everything we need to cover ahead of uh, ahead. I mean, is there anything else we want to speak about, GMH, real quick? And no, I think we've covered a lot of points in a short amount of hmm. time. Yeah, it's a good show. Perfect, perfect. All right, man, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast, taking some period out of your time, your busy schedule to hop on the on the SW6 podcast with us today. Um, yeah, I mean, is there anything you want to plug for yourself or the Blue Stand, which uh, I know you would like to talk about real quick? Yeah, I just want to say quickly, thank you for having me on. Massive fan of the podcast. Always try and listen in when I've got a spare bit of time. So again, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, just yeah. Follow my if you're not following already. Chelsea Central underscore. Usually post a bunch of stuff, stats and stuff. If you're into that, but yeah, recently set up the blues, the blue stands with uh, Vince, aka Blue Footy, Mediano Era, Miz, and Third Man Run. And yeah, we're looking to grow that page. We're going to bring all kinds of contents. Obviously, we, we've got quite a balanced team. There's some guys are great at the analysis. Learn off them completely in Mediano and Third Man Run. Obviously, you've got me with the stats, Miz with the videos, and who's better than Vince at bringing you the latest news and stuff. So, yeah, we've got a cracking team. We've got amazing plans in the pipeline to come forward. So, yeah, definitely drop a follow on there. It's at the blue stands, at the blue underscore stands, sorry. Perfect, man, perfect. Thanks again for coming on once again. So, yeah, so, guys, I told you we're going to get another bang on. Here you go. Here you freaking go. Statistics legend. Chelsea Central underscore. That's your at, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, spot on. Exactly. So I'll catch you guys in the next episode. All right. Bye-bye. Peace. Um, Stop recording.